Good morning, good morning, good morning. If we've not met, my name is Chris. I'm one of the elders here at LCC. And so as Matt just mentioned, we got lots of things going on here at the church and uh, all types of activities and things coming up. But then we also have uh, the transition we've been talking about over the last few weeks that we're making some changes online with uh, our website and also um, our online giving. And so we're excited about doing it. You know, technology is always a little bit, uh, you know, can be a tricky little thing as you make the change. But uh, we're making this move to a, a platform called Subsplash for a couple of different reasons. Uh, being a good faithful of the resources that we have with some fees going up at Church Center, uh, we felt like it was a good move. And then as well as this will just continue to be a spot where we can gather all information, be it going on in the church in one space. And so it's going to be online on our website as well as an app that's coming soon. And so that'll be uh, coming up in the next little bit. But on the giving side, uh, that's the one thing that kind of happened first, and that's what's happening right now. So uh, as of tomorrow, if you're giving on Church Center, that will stop because at the end of the month, that, that kind of expires. So if you want to get online and set up your new giving, go to our website now, top right corner. You click the little drop-down menu. The last option is giving. Click there. Go through, and then a little bit down that first page, you'll see uh, Give, and you just click right there, and you can get all set up on uh, the new Subsplash uh, space there. So if you have any questions about that, you can find myself, find Pastor Brandon, you can find uh, Daniel Carlisle, a few of us that can answer some questions for you, um, and in the office, and we can walk you through it if you need anything answered on that front, and we'd be happy to help. Um, so that's what's going on there. Definitely follow up if you have any questions on that front. Uh, now, if you would uh, grab your scripture, grab your Bible, open it up. We're going to be in the book of Luke this morning, the book of Luke, chapter 13. So grab that, but we're going to be at verse 31, and we're going to finish uh, the chapter through verse 35. So Luke 13, 31 through 35. It says, at that very hour, some Pharisees came to him and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord this morning. Praise be to God as we open Luke again this week, and we hear a pretty interesting response as Jesus is kind of challenged or trying to be dismayed. He doesn't take the bait. And as we break this down, we're looking at the boldness of Christ, the brokenness of Christ, as he continues the course, the purpose that he came. We think about boldness, so often our minds go to maybe the, the bullhorn guy, the guy on the corner of the street with a bullhorn shouting, and, I, and it's, it's not really the picture that we see here of Jesus. I think back when I was in college and I'm paying the, the gas station attendant back before the, the cards worked consistently at the pump and you talk to a real person and, and she saw maybe it was the lack of facial hair, maybe it was a tiny car that was barely running I was driving, but she picked up, I was a college student. 
She's like, you go to college, what degree? And she's all pumped and excited for me. And I'm like, ah, yeah, school down the street, going to study to be a pastor. Do you know Jesus? And she's like, no. And just yelled at me, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Why would you waste all that money and time to get that degree? You're not going to help anybody. God doesn't even exist. I was like, whoa, all right, thanks for the receipt there, ma'am. And shared, you know, I was like, well, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through him. And then I bolted to my car and was like, I did the work of evangelist. Just hopefully the seed landed and the, Satan didn't snatch it and the, and the ground wasn't too hard, but we'll see what happens when we're in heaven. Maybe she came to the Lord and was like, that weird college kid just gave me a seed and ran away. But being bold is often in that moment where you're like, this is going to be great. She's all pumped and oh, okay, that's not really that inviting anymore. Now I'm awkward and this is weird. Um... And I, I went back and I was like, what? As I'm pumping gas, I just prayed for her. I'm like, what happened that she's that angry at God? Who hurt her that, that she thinks that God used them to hurt her? And, and, and what kind of pain and suffering must she still be in? And, and the boldness that, that Jesus had here wasn't the guy on a bullhorn yelling, turn or burn, believe in God or you're going to burn in hell forever. The boldness was, I'm casting demons out of people. I'm going to heal people today, tomorrow, and the next day. The boldness is the boldness that he showed us that we need to have today. But still the brokenness for those who've yet to turn to him. And as we think about this, and I studied from college to my master's degree, and I was given a book on evangelism, how to share the gospel. I got all excited. Yeah, I need help because I'm going to face people at the gas station that don't believe in God. And how do I share? And I read this book called Concentric Circles of Concern. Can barely, I had to practice that all week, so I didn't mess it up. It's like, what is this book? You know, and it basically broke it down to eight to 15 people. Another Greek word. You know, Greek and Hebrew, the like eighth definition, it, it represents a household. Back when communities were small, you had your, your eight to 15 people, and it's a Greek word called oikos. But all it is is your, your circle of, of your four worlds, your family, friends, work, and hobbies, these meaningful relationships that make up the people from your four worlds. Think about it, your family. Some of you, that's like, I already got eight people right there. And then you got some friends, man, you're maxed out before you even get to work and before you even consider who you do life with when you have free time with your hobbies. And the unique thing about your hobbies is they choose to be around you. So you have a built-in influence, but oftentimes they're influencing you. And you think, okay, well, I'm going to go to church and here's the model that's going to help me be a disciple, a humble servant committed to following Jesus. And the modern day discipleship model looks something like this. It's a a funnel where you attend a church, you connect over maybe five or 10 years, and then eventually you're going to share through some service, and finally maybe you're one of the few chosen to go on a short-term missions trip. Or maybe you disciple, but Jesus' strategy is the opposite. He found Peter, James, and John, and then he had his 12 disciples after the three that they were included with, and the 70, and the 500, and we don't even know their names, but we know that Jesus sent them out to do ministry right away. And so as, as our mission, Jesus prayed that we would know God, that salvation. And right away after knowing God, we'd grow and go. It's immediate. It happens the moment you're sitting in the seat and the Holy Spirit says, hey, remember Frank at work? Oh yeah, I, yeah, he's going through a hard time. I need to share what God's done in my life during that hard time. 
It's not when you're mature for you know enough and, and you memorize these Greek Hebrew words and you know the 12th. No, Jesus never said that. Oftentimes people couldn't see or they couldn't walk. Jesus heals them and is like, go and just stop sinning. You're like, what? That's not an easy thing to obey. Like, yeah, your sins are forgiven and now you can walk. Don't sin anymore. Like, yes, Jesus, what? How am I supposed to do this? Unless he transforms your life. Unless it's not about what you do, it's about what he's about to do for you or what he's already done for you and you're about to hear about it and believe. Think about this. When I was in school and, and super smart PhD was teaching us, he's a pastor and a, and a PhD professor and he, and he gets on the whiteboard and he says, if one person shares the gospel with two and two share the gospel with two and the multiplication ends up being that upside down funnel because we're bold in our faith. If we, if we look at some numbers, I'm not super good at numbers, but on average, let's say 300 people come through these doors on a month to a month and a half because we're all busy and, and, and 300 adults take just eight out of the eight to 15 and invite them to church. That's 2,400 believers. And it's not, forget LCC, like that's just to, to identify this address where we gather, but it's the church on the central coast. Because you're like, where are you going to fit? 20? We have like three, we have two bathrooms, Pastor. How are we going to do that? No, don't worry about logistics, okay? Where are the seed planters? But invite eight people because you care about their soul, because you're bold and just sharing the simple good news of what Jesus has done in your life and what he can do for them. It's not getting into the deep, dark parts of that may come and the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will give you the answer. So don't stress about it. And the Pharisees show up when Jesus is casting demons out and healing people, and they're like, hey, just so you know, Herod, word on the street, he wants to kill you. Just, just want to let you know. And Jesus isn't distracted. He's not dismayed. And he knows the Pharisees want to kill him too. So here's what we're called to do, is go and be bold. And we see here the boldness of Christ. In that day, if a king wants you dead, there's not a lot of places you can hide. Like he has his people, he's going to find you, he's going to kill you. But Jesus says, look, tell him he's a fox. Now today you're like, well, is he like a foxy? Like, is that like a compliment? Or no, it was a dig then. He was saying he's sneaky, he's divisive. And, and he says, look, I'm driving out demons, I'm performing miracles today and tomorrow, and on the third day I'm going to complete my work. And he's basically saying, there's nothing you can do you think you're in control, but you have no control. I'm sovereign. I control all times, all places, all people. And I'm going to do this for three days, and then I'm done, because three was the number of completion. He wasn't referring to the resurrection, although that was a, a complete as well. But he was saying, I'm doing this, and you can't stop me. And then he says, I'll leave town, and when I'm ready, and for most of us, we hear the threat and we go, oh, the Lord doesn't want us here. It's, it's complicated, it's challenging, it's closed. And we'd write, maybe if we're missionaries, write to our donors and say, hey, God closed the door, but don't worry, there's another one in Hawaii. It's great. Um, I'm going to go there and do ministry. But Jesus says, no, I'm staying here and there's nothing you can do about it. And Jesus is bold in the face of his hearers and he says in verse 35, your house is forsaken as well. And today it's popular for preachers, instead of saying the truth, and reminding them everything you're trusting in, this world or this religious works, it's not going to save you. 
But instead, preachers will say, yeah, keep doing good works. And if you do good works, God's going to bless you. And also, here's a new book I wrote about how you can do more good works. And it's this positivity linked with prosperity that Jesus doesn't, he never says anything. It's actually the opposite. He says, follow me and the world's going to hate you. Let's go. He says, follow me and you're going to lay your life down as I laid my life down over and over. Hey, guess what? Follow me and you're going to suffer and it's going to be hard and I'm going to provide strength for you to endure. It's going to be great. Let's go. This is how Jesus evangelizes. It's come to Jesus. Be saved. Your sin will be washed away and then you're going to suffer and serve other people as Jesus suffered and served us. He tells the audience that they're about to be cast out of the kingdom of God. They think they're in the kingdom because of they, their birth, their culture. And they're about to be forsaken because it's not by works. It's not by your genealogy. It's if Jesus is your savior for all people. So Jesus does not back down in his bold proclamation of the gospel. No matter how culturally challenging or different it was. No matter the cost, he was bold in sharing the good news of the gospel is for all, but only applies to those who answer the call and who believe in Jesus. Are you confident and bold in your conversations about Jesus? Or are there times where it's like, yeah, Jesus is the only way to God, but uh, no, you have to be bold as Jesus was bold and clear and present the true gospel. The beautiful thing about Jesus we see here is he's bold about the gospel but he's brokenhearted. He's empathetic with the people who choose not to come to him. When I was in Chicago two weeks ago, this evangelist was telling me about a close friend who ended up being a CEO of their Australian football team, like one of the famous ones that's well-known. Um, I'm sure we all know it, right? Essendon, yeah, get up. no, we don't know, we're not Australian, but there's a big football club and football team, they have Australian rules football team, he's the CEO of it, and, and uh, within 24 hours, the other people, part of the organization said, you have to step down. So Andrew Thorburn is his name, and, and he was ousted as CEO because they found out that he goes to church, and that he sits on the board at his church. And there's a sermon in 2013, 2016, 2018, and those sermons referenced um, abortion being a sin and, and homosexuality being a sin. And they, they highlighted the gospel that lying, cheating, stealing, you know, being drunk, it, those are all sins, and this is one of them, and Jesus paid for your sins. And, and it was very gospel, we invite all, but here's the gospel. And they said, this is not inclusive, so you can't be our CEO, you have to step down and he said, today it became clear to me that my personal Christian faith is not tolerated or permitted in the public square. At least by some and perhaps by many, I was being required to compromise beyond a level that my conscience allowed. My faith is central, he went on to say, to who I am. Since becoming a follower of Jesus 20 years ago, I've seen profound change in my life. He said, I believe God has made me a better husband, father, friend, and has also helped me become a better leader. The 8 to 15 in his life can attest to his family, his friends, his work life, and his hobbies all saw the transformation for 20 years as he lived out what it looks like to follow Jesus. Not perfectly, but making progress. 
It's also helped me become a better leader. That's because at the center of my faith is the belief that you should create a community and care for people because they're created by and loved by God and have a deep intrinsic value. He was bold in his faith, and he said, all right, I'm guilty of following Jesus, and here's the reality. I can't serve as a CEO. My new friend that I made at the conference said um, that the pastor of that church was asked to go on their version of Good Morning America, and he's like, what do I do? Because if I go, I know it's going to be a lose situation. And, and the, the guy I was talking with said, Years ago, I was in a debate, and, and the numbers showed that I lost the debate, proving the existence of God. But it opened up doors to be able to share the gospel in different arenas and different people that I didn't know. And so even though I lost the debate, I was able to share the gospel and see more people come to Christ. And he said, you, the culture is never going to accept the gospel. So we win by losing. You go on the show and you're honest with the reality the culture's never going to accept the gospel, but the gospel is what it is. And you, with a broken heart, you're bold with the gospel. And it's a beautiful picture because that's most of our world. We don't know when at the water cooler, we don't know when the boss is going to call us in. We don't know when our employee needs correcting and we're the employer and we're like, sin-filled Brandon would do it this way, but gospel-filled, spirit-filled is going to lead this way. How do I lead as a parent? How do I lead as a husband? How do, I, how do I care for my kids? How do I care for my employees? How do I, in the water, surfing, and my buddy is, is just pouring out, and I'm going to share the gospel with him. Am I going to be bold but brokenhearted at the same time? And that's where the boldness, what are you doing this weekend? You know, at work, maybe an employee or employer asks you, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Are you going to go, ah, nothing, football? Or are you going to say, no, we were at church, and this is can I tell you what God's done in my life recently? Can I tell you where I was five years ago and God did this thing? And we all have those moments where God's grown us, changed us, pushed us, and we can share that. Maybe some of you, you're the compassionate, caring person. When you go to Vaughn's, you're like radars on high alert and you see someone hurting and you go comfort them. That's not me. Like I'm so focused on getting chicken broth and inevitably I'll walk out with vegetable broth. I don't know how it happens, I'm like laser focused. I have one thing to do and I'm, I messed that up. So, so I'm amazed that God gave you that gift to be that compassionate, that caring, and that focused in those moments. But for me, it's like the Holy Spirit's like, tell this person at the gas station about me and it's going to be awkward, but do it. I'm like, okay. And then my heart breaks after, man, they don't want you, God. Why not? The amazing thing, I'm always blown away. I never took statistics, but the smart people that did and do the surveys found that 82% of people in your 8 to 15 circle of influence, they'd come to church if you invited them. 82% of people would come to church if a friend invites them. But only 2% of Christians bother. That is amazing because if you think about the 8 to 15 people that you've yet to invite, I know we've all invested maybe in different things at different times. Maybe you you drink the Kool-Aid and digital currency, Bitcoin, you're like, man, your 401k, you're like, it's great, and now it's not. Don't worry about it. Forget about that. Return on investment, it's gone. But if you invite your friend, 82% of the time, they're going to say yes. Again, it's not attend, connect, serve. Ten years later, maybe you know enough and you can convince and trick your friend. into No, just, just go. Love them. Be a good friend. 
And when there's an opportunity, brag on Jesus and what he did in your life. Be bold. Be broken that, that they don't know yet. And this is, this is the image of what Jesus came. He grabbed three. Then he grabbed 12. And then out of that was 70 and 500. And oftentimes, it's always challenging for me. It's like, man, there's some basics here. We got to believe Jesus is God. And then after that, there's some openness. And we got to elevate everyone and all people who are called, filled with the Spirit, to go and serve and be bold in proclaiming Jesus. Because Jesus' strategy said, go teach the gospel to the whole world. So in a sense, when people say, I just want a small church, I'm like, well, Jesus said the whole world needs to know about him. So I don't know if you could have a small church. That might be sin. And in another sense, too, if you want a big church to put your name and lights and sell books, I don't know if that's what Jesus was saying either because he said, go. So as the church in Jerusalem grew, the broken heart of the whole world needing the gospel, that's when suffering came in and God forced the church to spread throughout the whole world. So this brokenness we see Jesus reveal, he knows that death is awaiting him in Jerusalem, but he's bold in saying, this is what I've come to do. And he has a broken heart knowing he's going to Jerusalem in verse 33. And he weeps not for himself in Jerusalem, but for the forsaken house. In verse 34, he his heart is broken for the people who refuse to come to him and be saved. In chapter 19, verse 41 of Luke, Jesus finally reaches the city and he's in tears, weeping over it, weeping because of the hardness of heart that the city refuses the free gift of the eternal kingdom that Jesus is going to pay for their sin and give them new life. And they're saying, we don't need it. We're going to keep living our old life. Thanks, but no thanks. His boldness to keep proclaiming the gospel that people are rejecting, keep loving, keep serving, even though he knows some of those people are going to show up at his crucifixion and spit and curse in his face because he knows all things. And he's willingly continuing to serve them. This was Jesus' daily experience as he took steps towards the cross day in and day out, which in all accounts, we would not allow a criminal led to the gallows or the death penalty every day. Just go sit in the death, right? The chair, the death penalty chair. Every day, hey, you're going to die in 12 days. So each day for the next 12 days, you're going to come and just sit in the chair and, get, and just torture you with that reality. But every day, Jesus took a step closer to Jerusalem. He felt the weight. He knew the reality of it's getting closer and closer, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. And I'm not just going to die. It's as Isaac did. He carried the wood and the knife. And eventually Isaac realized there's no sacrifice here but, but me. And Jesus was the true and better Isaac who carried the cross up to Golgotha and he realized I'm the sacrifice. I know where I'm going and the offering that's going to be made. So Jesus is and was the hero of our souls. Jesus was the one who purchased our souls, who won the battle. We also see his extraordinary human spirit, the relentless terror of the cross looming over him day after day. But his love for others is what drove him to the cross. It wasn't this religious duty. It wasn't that God said, you have to do this to earn the right to be my son. He's always been God's son. He said, I am, which means he's been with God in the beginning, which means Jesus is God. He's not a God, 
which is hugely important because Jesus shows us that God created us in his image and then he came to serve us. The very God that created us came to save us because he's the one we sinned against. If we sinned against God and he sent an angel or someone else or something else, that wouldn't be able to pay for our sin because we sinned against God. So we need God to forgive us. He was tender with everyone that he spoke with. And he met every need that came to him that was in his plan and his will. He wore himself out. Think about how tired you are and how you need rest. Jesus constantly was wearing himself out for three years, pouring himself out, serving, healing, teaching, listening, counseling. And every step, every day, every hour that passed, he knew the excruciating sacrifice he was getting closer to make. That word excruciating is a Latin word, excruciere, and it was a Roman word meaning as painful as a crucifixion or out of the cross. That word came from the cross to, they had to invent a word to be able to communicate how painful and the emotional, physical suffering that you would endure on the cross. And the interesting thing that the author of Hebrews summarizes the gospel message of all of Scripture. It says, during the, last, or during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers, petitions, loud cries, tears to the one who could save him from death, referring to the Garden of Gethsemane, when the blood vessels, he was so gripped with anxiety and stress that they burst the blood vessels and, and mixed with the sweat. And he sweated drops of blood. And it says he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Back in Genesis, there was this priestly order Melchizedek, this, this priest who Jesus is without sin. And Jesus had answered Herod and the proud Pharisees with royal disdain and irony. And later on, when Jesus is questioned by Herod, he doesn't even acknowledge him, adding insult to injury. And, and Jesus goes on and says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are unwilling. This is the key to boldness. I've come to save you, and yet you're unwilling the brokenness together. But you're unwilling. Jesus expressed his desire for his people with a magnificent and beautiful image, the, the one of a mother bird covering over, caring for, bringing warmth and protection to her nest. The emphasis on her wings is this image that's been used over and over in Scripture. The first time it's used actually is Moses singing this song in Deuteronomy. He says, In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as an apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. Deuteronomy 32. I wish we spoke in those images. It's so helpful, right? Like, that's why YouTube is so successful. You don't have to get a manual. I remember back before YouTube, like, working on cars, we get these manuals and flip through pages and look for the diagram, and you're like, I don't know what's... Now you have, like, a two-minute video on YouTube. It's like, oh, that's how you do it. It's all pictures. 
like crazy, Carl falls out of the nest, and the eagle's like, oh, Carl again, grabs Carl, swoops him up, puts him in the nest. It's like, dude, just chill out, Carl. Your wings aren't developed yet. Like, that's the picture. You're all crazy Carl's falling out of the nest all the time, but don't worry. I'm like this eagle. It's going to come rescue you. I'm this eagle. It's watching over you, protecting you until you're strong and big enough to fly away. It's like, oh, that's, yeah, that makes sense. I fall out of the nest all the time, and I'm like, I'm going to die. And all of a sudden, this eagle's like, I got you. Like, thank you, Lord. Put me back in the nest. Jesus is like, man, you're going to kill me, and all I want to do is save you. That's all I want to do. I just came to heal you. You can't do anything about demons. I'm casting them out. I'm healing people, and you're threatening me to kill me. Don't worry. I'll lay my life down for you. Just give me a couple days. It's a beautiful picture and reminder. As crazy as the world is, God's got it in control, and he's still casting demons out. He's still healing. He's still watching over us and wants us to know him. Think about in my teenage years, most things were going well, but my friends just always kind of seemed to fluctuate. Like no one really stayed true with me through the seasons. And I was like, man, what is the deal? Why do these friends keep bailing on me? Like girls, parties, like whatever. Like, come on, let's just follow Jesus. And then you lean into Jesus and you realize that's it. That's the void. Like I followed him as my savior, but is he my Lord? And is he my friend? And am I leaning into him to bring that intimacy and that, that gap that you feel like you walk home and the light's on, the fire's going, and there's your cup of hot chocolate or cider. For adults, it's that cup of coffee. It's already ready for you with your choice of cream. You know, you're just, yes, this is where I belong with my family. Unfortunately, they weren't willing to come to Jesus. They were responsible for their aloneness and their ultimate lostness. And Jesus says, all I want is you under my wings, protected, cared for. Will you come to him if you're not with him yet? Do you know that that's where you are, that, that you're in the nest with God and he's got his wings around you, protecting you, that he saved you? Maybe you grew up hearing about that and you're like, yeah, I think I like the crazy Carl idea and just jump out of the nest. We'll see what happens. And you're like, dude, I got banged up, beat up all the way down the cliff, but I hear this eagle flying after me and he's longing to bring me back home. The crazy thing is Jesus constantly prayed. He was fully God and fully man. And he's like, my body's weak. I need rest, but I need to pray and connect with God. I need to memorize God's will. going to be desolate. He's saying, Jerusalem, the center of the nation, you guys love it so much. The Romans in AD 68 and 70, it was destroyed. And Josephus says there was so much starvation. Women and kids are lying on the roofs of their homes and there's just devastation everywhere. This prophecy that Jesus says in verse 35, well, it's short-term implication. He says, you are not going to see me, Jerusalem, until I enter the city on Palm Sunday. The crowds come out and say, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Most commentators think that was a short-term implication, but really it was speaking about the end times when Jesus comes back the second time and everyone sees him in the sky and they're like, hey, Jesus, what's up, dude? Yeah, you're blessed. Awesome. So we're going to heaven, right? And Jesus is like, who are you? Which should really wake us up and go, yeah, this world is not getting better, in case you haven't noticed. It's continuing to get worse. And any human ideas fail, and this said it would. The only way is Jesus. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Muhammad said, I don't know the purpose of life. Confucius said, good luck. Keep trying. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through me. Here's the way. I've come to save you and set the captives free. I've come. I have power over the spirit realm that few of you have seen and most acknowledge they have no understanding or control over. And every time we read the Bible, it's a little confusing because the New Testament is explaining the old promises of God and saying Jesus came to fulfill it. And Luke, he records Psalm 118 when he says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus knew that verse. And he's saying, this is the promise. And this is what you're going to say. But when I come back again, make sure I know you and you know me so I can take you with me. In Isaiah 53, we see that the Jews, even though they thought they were going to be saved by their birth, they'll believe along with many of us, the Gentiles. Isaiah 53, 3-5, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. He says, We esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. His death brought us peace between us and God because Jesus is God. And by his wounds we're healed. Meaning, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So the Jews have to believe on Jesus just like the Gentiles in order to be saved. So the theme here in Luke 13, 31 through 35, is that everything regarding how our sins are forgiven has to do with Jesus, his obedience, his sinless life, and his perfect sacrifice, which, to be clear, has nothing to do with us. We don't add anything to the equation. We just receive his payment. We just receive his sacrifice. Jesus is the hero of our souls. We're just simply like crazy Carls who fall out of the nest. Like there's nothing the little chick did to deserve or earn the, the eagle's attention. But the eagle loved the chick and saved it. And that's you today. Because if you're lying, you're cheating, you're lust, you're looking for something to bring you satisfaction, but only God can. And Andrew Thorburn, it cost him to follow Jesus. It cost him to go to church, his job as CEO. Are you ready to lay down your job? Are you ready to lay down a friendship and say, I'm following Jesus? And he said this, he said, I'm bold, but I'm broken. We see in this quote, he said, this grieves me greatly, though not just for myself, but for our society overall. I believe we are poorer for the loss of our great freedoms of thought, conscience, and belief that made for a truly diverse and respectful community. He fully understood that following Jesus is going to cost him, and he was willing to. Jesus knew that every step he took, he'd go closer to death. Jesus was determined to die for our sins, and he would not be deterred. He died because he chose to. He willingly laid his life down. And he had this determination that was truly grounded like an immovable rock in his tender love. God became flesh and longed to pull people of all nationalities to know Jesus. To be like a, a hen gathering its chicks. 
to be like an eagle under the wings, guarding and protecting and keeping its chicks safe. He's done everything. And all we do is receive. All we do is believe. And then he begins the work of changing us to make us look, think, and act like Jesus. The Lord is bold, and he's also broken. When we evangelize, we have to have both. Because we can be bold and very hard-hearted and uncaring. We can be broken, we're tender and caring toward people, but we're so afraid of what men are going to think about us or women are going to think about us. And we end up kind of coming short on the truth. And we, we tell just enough good things, but not the consequence of leaving the offer on the table. We want enough boldness to risk ourselves as the Lord does, but we also want enough brokenness to weep when people refuse. I was at that gas pump and at first I was like, that was weird and awkward. And then I quickly, the Holy Spirit was like, but isn't that sad? She just left the offer on the table. Some hurt is so hard that she doesn't think there's a God who loves her and can save her and and change her. And so we have to have both because I could have been more sympathetic. That's not in my nature. And as I've grown, it's like, man, what I would do to go back to that moment and be bold, but have that brokenness to be like, hey, what was that? Who did that? How did that happen? And that's where the gospel doors fling wide open. Oftentimes it's like, well, I'm not an evangelist. And really it's, you're too busy. If you slow down and you look and you go, Lord, open a door here and not shrink away, but be bold. And just asking a question about their life. Hey, could I tell you about my life and what God did? Yeah, sure. Tell stories. That's what we do. And all of a sudden, hey, this is what God is doing, or this is what God has done. Can I, can I tell you the story of, of how I know he's true? Can I tell you the gospel? Most of the time, what people tell me is I've never had anyone explain the gospel. I've never, because right now, you guys are thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch or what game's on, like you're still distracted. But when you're one-on-one with someone, you can't really distract. You're like, whoa, whoa, over here, right here. And, and when there's hurt and there's pain in front that you're talking about, it's like, yes, I need someone. I need something. I didn't know it was Jesus. I didn't know God saved me by grace alone, through faith alone. And that's what I put in your notes. Once you have that conversation, once you bring up those stories of what God did in your life or what God is doing, so often with my friends that are electricians or they're mechanics and in, in the blue, blue collar, you know, trade and they're swapping stories on the job site. And all of a sudden it's, what'd you do on the weekend? I went to church. Oh man, my life's falling apart. Marriage. Hey, can I tell you about what God did in my life? Oh, sure. Hey, can I share the gospel with you? Well, we're not going anywhere for six more hours. And then you walk through, Hey, God made us in his image. Hey, we sinned. You've blown it. I've blown it. Yeah. Said, thought and done things that were against God. But what's Jesus come and do? He came and paid that price. And the sin equals death, but the free gift of eternal life is when we believe in Jesus. And the the boldness, but the brokenness is the response. Are you going to receive or are you going to reject? Because as Ephesians says, it's by grace through faith. And Jesus says, so with a brokenness and a boldness, All who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me and I'll give you rest. For my way is easy and my burden is light. And that's the gospel, is I've already paid for it and I'm gonna empower you with my spirit to walk in this new life. In Ephesians 2.10, there's already good works. There's a purpose I've prepared for you to do. 
Come, follow me. God has you in your family, in your friend's life, under an employer or as an employer, and in that hobby to bring the gospel, to speak boldly about Jesus' love, and to invite them to know it with that brokenness because you know they don't. We must never speak hard truth with a hard heart, but always with that tender, broken heart. When we speak with a hard heart, it's unloving and it misrepresents the truth. We're most ready to share the good news when we have both boldness and brokenness as Christ did. He's the hero of our soul. We just get to celebrate him and proclaim him. Let's be that church. Having that zeal to tell all people at all times the good news and have that brokenness when we see people leave the offer on the table. We ought to ask the Lord to examine our hearts to see if we're either too hard maybe or uncaring or brash in the worldly sense of boldness. May the Lord by His Spirit give us the correct temper where we're both full of that brokenness and boldness as we declare the gospel. The good news that his body was given on the cross and his blood was shed to, to remove sin so we might know him, grow in that knowledge, and then share with others what God's doing in our life. So if you're here and you're wanting to believe in Jesus and the Holy Spirit's like, hey, you're saved. You believe in me. Now you've been saved. Jesus paid for your sin and you're guaranteed to be with him forever starting today. Please come up and let us know or stop by the Connect booth. There's no fancy prayer or backflip or somersault. You just believe and you're saved. It's this free gift. And then God has already begun the work in you, which is a beautiful thing. Because he endured the, he endured the suffering for his sacrifice. And the little bit of suffering is our delight and joy that we can also serve others as he served us. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to give us a time of communion where as believers we can reflect on what Jesus did for us and who he's calling us to go invite to know him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for those who've heard the gospel, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time and heard those sweet words that, God, it's not about what us sinners can do to improve. It's about what you've already done on the cross and the promise that you fulfilled when you walked out of the grave and gave us new life today that we'd have that boldness with that brokenness to share the hope we have with others. In that reality, there's eight to 15 people, whether it's our family, friends, coworkers, or those people we enjoy hobbies with, that we are given an opportunity to be bold, but also have a broken spirit as we share the hope we have in you, knowing it's gonna cost us, as it costs you much, but it's well worth it. And as you had the joy, as you set your face on the cross. May we have the joy as we proclaim you with them. We pray for those who are believing today for the first time, that they let us know we could walk with them, celebrate with them as, when, as we know your word says, that when one sinner repents, Lord, you rejoice in heaven. We praise you and give you thanks and ask your spirit to guide us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to give you a minute to pray and ask the spirit to Open your eyes. Maybe there's an area where you could be more bold. Maybe there's a person you need to be a little more with tender-hearted this week as you share the hope, and maybe invite them to church next week, and they'll come up and, and close us in a minute.